Well, we're going to continue and finish up our study in the book of Luke, and I think we've been Luked a lot today. If you were in adult Sunday school, it was Luke chapter 2. Our verse was Luke chapter 2. I think God wants us to understand Luke chapter 2. Now, we didn't get to finish it last time a couple of weeks ago, but I want to build on that for a little bit this morning. Uh, before we get there, we have to understand what's going on. We mentioned this two weeks ago. As we knew, there's a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament testifying to the birth of Christ. Genesis tells us at the fall that a Savior's coming. The fellowship with Adam, between God and Adam and Eve had been broken, but there was coming a time where that relationship was going to be restored. If you remember the order of events, Satan tempted Eve. She gave in. She gave it to Adam. Adam, he fell. And then God shows up. And he's thinking, what's going on here, guys? You had the perfect situation. What's going on? And you know, Adam and Eve, they hid from God, thinking that they can hide from God. God finds them. Adam blames Eve. That doesn't stop, right? Wives. Eve, no, the, the husband blames the wife. Eve blames the snake. And so God addresses the snake first. We do the same thing. We blame others. We blame the devil. That's really our fault. We, none of us can say the devil made me do it. The devil can tempt you to do it. But only, the, only you can choose to do it. Genesis 3.15 says, From now on you and the woman will be enemies, and your offspring and her offspring will be enemies. He will crush your head and he will strike your heel. And you will strike his heel. So we see at the beginning the offspring of anything, any progeny of Adam and Eve are going to be enemies of God. That means us. Anyone born after Adam and Eve are going to be enemies of God. Jesus refers to the Pharisees as having the devil as their father. Again, offspring of the enemy. All of us, before we came to know Christ, the Bible says we were enemies of God. We may be good people, but until we know Christ, we are enemies of God. Her offspring, when, he's, when God's talking, refers to Jesus. The word in the King James and the NIV is seed, singular. So all people up to this point in Luke chapter 2 are enemies of God because of their sin. God has given them favor. God has overlooked their sin through their sacrifices, but they are still technically enemies of God. Romans 3.10 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. You think of the most good person you know that do everything right. The Bible says no one's righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, and everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. We at, the, at that moment and those folks back then had no relationship with God. Back in Genesis, God said there's time coming when the servant, the suffering servant would come, he would redeem you, he would crush the enemy's head, in other words, defeat him, and once again restore people to being in a relationship with God the Father. In the Old Testament, the Bible, when the Holy Spirit came, it came selectively, and the Bible says it came on people. It didn't fill people. It came on them, used them for a time, and then left. Once you come to know Christ, the Bible says the Holy Spirit now dwells in you. And the part of you that has relationship with God is now alive. Up to the point where you come to know Christ, the spirit man in you, the person that has any communication with God, is dead. That part of you is dead. You have no communication with God. Once you accept Christ, the Bible says that spirit man now becomes alive and you now have a relationship with God. The part of you that can commune with God 
now is alive. That's what it means to be born again, and only accepting Christ can turn that spirit on. It's like a light bulb that goes off in your head. It just happens at that moment. So all throughout the Old Testament, God drops, drops all kinds of hints and nuggets of information to remind them that the Savior's coming. He's coming to restore the relationship that Adam and Eve broke for us. But God said, in the law, in the meantime, you need to obey the law in order to get right with God, to keep being right with God. And you're showing me by obeying the law that you're waiting and trusting for the Messiah to come. Because all of the law was an indication and a prophecy of what Jesus was gonna fulfill. Galatians 3.24 says, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So all of the law, all the commandments, the 10 commandments and the law throughout the first five books of the Bible, all of them are designed to point you to Christ. And when Jesus came, he says, I came not to end the law, but to fulfill it. All those requirements in the law have been fulfilled in Christ, the things that made them right with God. Now, the parts that were, I guess, changed or nullified with Christ are the way that you relate to God. In the Old Testament, it was sacrifices and temple and all that stuff. All of that was ended. All the dietary restrictions, they weren't ended. The Bible says in Acts, you know, the sheep came down, God says, eat whatever you want. I'm not gonna call anything unclean anymore. All those other things, they're not fulfilled in Christ. They're still around, but those were given specifically to the Jewish people, not to the Gentile people. They were given to the Jews. God says, this is how you eat. This is what you eat, what you're supposed to do. The things, the dietary laws, and all the other things that God gave them through the law were for the Jews. The way that you relate to God through the temple and through worship, that was what was fulfilled in Christ. So now, we jump back to where we started Two weeks ago in Luke chapter two, nothing had been heard from God for 400 years. And during these 400 years, the Pharisees and Sadducees kind of rose up, they took their place. There was a vacuum in leadership, so they, they created their own little office, they created their own jobs. The, the Jewish people were dispersed throughout the area, which is why God had to do a census to bring them all back. So they were all dispersed. Most Jews were Jews in name only not really following God. Think about this, the Jewish people, they're the only ones that have their nationality and their faith are the same. You're, you're Jewish by faith and by birth. Christians aren't Christians by birth. No other faith is by birth, but Jews are. But the problem was they were adhering to the law and not to what the law was pointing them to. The Pharisees believed that since they were genetically Abraham's kid, they were Jewish. Because of that, they were following God. They followed the law. They did everything perfectly. But the law was, a, was not a destination. The law was a roadmap. They believed that the law was a destination. They were going to camp on the law. And the only th example I can think of is, you ever drive to Baltimore? Anybody drive down south? To, well, I mean, why would you go to Baltimore? But anybody drive down south to Baltimore? Did you ever stop on 83 at Glen Rock and say, you know what, I'm here? No, 83 is a roadmap. Baltimore's the destination. You can't say you've been to Baltimore if you stop in the middle of 83. The Jewish people, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the law was the end. They stopped on the law. 
And that's all the further they were going. They weren't using it as a roadmap to get to where God had called them to be. Saying, look, this, the Messiah is coming. There's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament declaring what he's going to be, where he's going to be born, all 300 of them, and they missed all of them. And so they, they're camping on the law. They're not using it as a way to lead them to Jesus. And sometimes we do the same thing. If we think we obey all these rules and regulations, that's going to get us to where we need to be. Rules and regulations are a sign of your faith already. It doesn't get you closer to God. It allows you to show God that you're already part of his family. Following God for the Pharisees and Sadducees was following what they themselves taught and thought about God. We did a a study years ago on... uh, from Ray Comfort, how many know the name Ray Comfort? How many know the name Kirk Cameron? Kirk Cameron, Ray Comfort, they, they team up, they do these, these evangelical witnessing things. And one of the things Ray Comfort would do, he would go out and ask anybody on the street, what do you think God's like? And everyone would give their, what they thought God was like. But what's, basically what they were doing is they were creating a God that liked everything they liked and didn't like anything they didn't like. What do we call that? Idolatry. You make up your own God. If I'm going to make up a God, I'm going to make up a God that does everything that I like to do. And I'm going to make up a God who doesn't like to do anything I don't like to do. That's going to be who I create. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They were creating their own image of God on what they liked of the law. They invented their own ideas of what God was like. 400 years of not hearing from God, they were what? They were making it up as they went. So now we get the image, we're kind of in a dark spiritual time. Israel, 400 years, nothing. The Pharisees and Sadducees are just drilling the people into the ground by all the rules and regulations. But during this dark time when most were Jews in name only, you always had a remnant. As much as we don't like to hear it, Christianity has always been a remnant. It's always the minority. We'll always be a minority. So now let's go back to chapter 2 where we left off in verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So not everyone's an idolater. Not everyone followed the Pharisees and Sadducees. There was a few that really were waiting for the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Verses 36 through 38. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. How many skip over that verse? Seven years married. We assume they got married, say 20, and she's 20. 27, and now she's 84. She lived almost all of her life as a widow. And in in Bible times, widows, God says you need to take special care of them because there is no safety net for them. Nothing that they could do to earn money for themselves. They couldn't work. They couldn't support themselves. And yet, all these things on her, she still was waiting for Israel, the consolation of Israel. It says in verse 37, and she never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. 
Coming to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to, who all were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. You would think that someone in her position, a widow all of her life, doesn't have much from what we can tell from Scripture, yet she was waiting for God. Sometimes that, when we, have to, when we get to the point we have nothing, when we, God is the only thing we have, that's when our lights turn on in our head and we really get to know that really Jesus is it. Most of you know I did a, a funeral this week for a good friend of ours. And he, it, on December 1st I texted him and by December 10th he had passed away. The, the wife, our friend, her mother passed away a week before that. And yet she was still clinging to Jesus. It would be easy to get negative, upset. Where's God in all of this? But she didn't. Because in all of this she realized that Jesus is all she has right now. We need to understand that Jesus is really all we have. We may be blessed materially, family-wise. We may have all those blessings. But really, at the end of the day, Jesus is the only reason that we should feel blessed and that he's really all we have because any of those things can be taken away like that. For the most part, Jews weren't really living with the hope of salvation. They weren't living expecting their Messiah. Just like today, no one's expecting Jesus to return. I wonder how many Christians are thinking that Jesus isn't coming back. Even the Bible says, you know, you've been saying this for years and nothing's happened. The Bible says it doesn't matter. It's going to happen. Are we living with that expectation? The Jews weren't. They weren't, had no expectation of the Messiah and still don't, to be honest with you. They were stuck in the mode of doing the law outwardly but not having a heart for God. They were going through the motions. It's easy to think, excuse my Clarence Frogman Henry voice here. <clears throat> it's easy to think that the things that we do, if we do all these things and we do them right, that that makes us right with God. Because as human beings, we like being able to quantify what we do or to have a checklist. Well, I did this, I did that. I'm good. If I'm always busy doing something for God, then I'm, I'm right. But there's a saying in business that a busy person isn't always getting things done. You can be busy, but busy doing nothing. To the end of the day, you're saying, well, I was busy all day, but you have nothing accomplished. And a lot of times, when we look at all the things we have to do as Christians and we make a checklist, well, I did this, I did this, I did this, then I'm right with God, when in reality, maybe we're not. Because it's easy to go through the motions and you feel like you've accomplished a lot, but you haven't. So scattered among those who were not waiting for the Messiah, you had a few that were. They were living in anticipation of receiving God's promise. And we've been talking a lot about promises lately. Are we really believing God's promises in his word? There's a lot of promises that we claim, but do we really believe that they're coming? And I like your analogy today, Marlene, in Sunday school, when God healed you of the migraine. The next week, the enemy tried to steal it away. She had a migraine again. She said, no, I don't have a migraine. I had the symptoms of a migraine. God healed me of that. And the more that she said that, the migraine went away because the enemy tries to steal back the promise that, that God gave you. 
That's exactly what he's doing to the Jews. He's taking back the promise. Now nah, he's not coming. There's no Messiah. And as Christians, a lot of God's promises, the enemy does the same thing. We had testimonies of healing a couple of weeks ago. And then not long after that, a couple of days later, all kinds of stuff was breaking loose. The enemy is trying to steal it back. It, doesn't, it, it tries to negate what God is already doing. But God did it, and God's going to finish that good work. As we mentioned last week or last time, in God's perfect time, he did the impossible to fulfill the promise to his people. What did he do? He made a virgin become pregnant. Now, if you were to tell that story today, how many of you think that would be true or you would believe it? Imagine in that, it's no different back then. Mary comes to Joseph and says, uh, pregnant, but I didn't, I didn't sleep with anybody. What do you think Joseph's thinking at the beginning? Yeah, I'm not buying it. But his faith also, God spoke to him and said, hey, don't be afraid. It's already from God. I'm in the middle of it. Don't worry about it. What else did he do? He made an unbelieving king move an entire nation of people to get two people where they needed to be. Why would God go to all the trouble just to make this happen? All these things that God was doing, you know, I used to, before I was a Christian, I would say, why can't God just forgive people? I mean, he's God, right? God, he, God can do anything. Why can't he just blanket forgive everybody? And I'm sure some of you have thought that. And the problem is, you can't have love without justice. To love someone means you have to be just with them as well. Your child comes home and they stole something from the store. That's okay, honey, I love you. Or do you correct them and make, it take, make them take it back and understand what they did was wrong? There has to be love and justice. You go to court, someone is found guilty. The judge says, oh, I love you, let, I'm, let, let him go. Where's the justice for the family that was hurt? So God has to be a God of love and justice. So his justice was poured out on Christ. All the things that we deserved was poured out on Christ. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. A lot of people think Christians are judgmental, right? That's what you hear a lot. But the Bible says we're not, we're not judging, we're not condemning anybody. Our job is to let Jesus shine through us. I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask you a question you don't have to answer. How many of you have had a child that's strayed away from your family that you don't talk to much anymore for whatever reason? How does that make you feel? <laughs> Terrible, right? Man was created in a loving relationship to be in a loving relationship with God the Father. And when we stray, God has the same heart for us, even more so than we have for our kids who don't talk to us. And we as a people have rejected that relationship. But God is long-suffering, which the Bible says, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Remember when he told Moses with the Israelites, when they disobeyed him for the thousandth time, what did God say? 
Stand aside, Moses. I'm going to wipe them out. Start over with you. But what did Moses do? <clears throat> Moses interceded for the people, and God didn't wipe them out. How long do we need to intercede for those who don't know Christ? Prayer is the, the one powerful thing that can change a person's heart and attitude in life. God is long-suffering, but his long-suffering is not infinite. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, as God's partners, we beg you not to reject this marvelous message of God's great kindness. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, God is ready to help you right now. Today is the day of salvation. Romans 13, 11, another reason for living right is that you know how late it is. Time is running out. How many of us think time's running out? The older you get, time goes faster. And it is running out. The reason we celebrate Christmas is because we know time's running out. We have a gift. We have to receive the gift. God loved us, each one of us so much, he's willing to give us the present of his son as a way of restoring the relationship that we lost. Christianity is the only, only faith that God reaches out to people. Every other faith, people are trying to reach out to God, to make it to God by doing whatever they need to do. God is the one who's reaching down. said, I gave you. I gave you, my son. What type of gift did God give us? Isaiah 9, 6, for, us, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are all the attributes of Jesus. Jesus is called Wonderful. And the word literally means a wonderful thing. Counselor means to guide or give purpose. How many of you have found God guiding you and giving you purpose for your life? So many people, their number one thing is, what's my reason for being? Why am I alive? Well, God's word says, I come to give you purpose. There's a divine purpose that each one of us has. And mighty means a valiant, excellent champion. Jesus is all those things. And not only that, he imparts those things to us when we believe. When Jesus was born, God's plan of salvation did not start then, but it came through fruition on that day. God presented his gift to the world. The long-awaited Savior that men would restore men back to relationship with God finally has arrived. But we find out when we study God's word, it wasn't only the Jews had no relationship with God, it was everybody else as well. Every person, every country, everywhere, everyone is in need of a relationship restored to God. And Christmas time is a time when people think about God things. We sing, we sing the, the hymns, the Christmas carols. And I think there's about five that are really, that everybody knows. There's a whole bunch of Christmas songs out there, but it's five that everybody wants to hear the old Christmas songs. Why? Because that's all we know. That's, that's the most, most famous songs. 
Christmas is the time when people start thinking about God things. People that don't go to church, they know Hark the Herald Angels Sing. They know Joy of the World. They know these songs because they've been played and they've heard them. And people like to hear that. <clears throat> a lot of, read a lot of church growth stuff. And there's two holidays that churches are filled. Who knows what they are? Easter and Christmas. There's a difference though. Easter is a time when people who are already believers, they all make it a point to go. Christmas is a time when most unbelievers attend because it's Christmas. They think about God things. Christians normally come, but it's packed with people who don't know Christ more so than Easter or any other holiday because people are drawn to things of God during this time of year. Your family comes around. Maybe you remember going to church as a kid on Christmas. I was Catholic, so we used to go to church midnight mass on Christmas Eve. We would go to the downtown Catholic church. It was the biggest one around. We would get on there and we had a balcony. We would sit up in the balcony. It was just my brother and I. And this was the time that transistor radios was about this big. Okay, do you know where I'm going with this? It had one little earphone coming out of it, right? And so I had it in my pocket and I ran the earphone up my sleeve or up my sleeve and I sat like this during church with the headphone. And it was an AM radio, so we got to listen to AM radio in church. Why do I remember that? Because it happened 60 years ago. Because you remember what you did as a kid and you remember these God things. When Christmas comes around, people's mind focuses on God. Whether it's specifically on Christ, but they are open to the things of God. All the decorations and the manger scenes we see all over the, all over the place. It makes you think about Jesus. Charlie Brown, Christmas. How many of you have seen that a thousand times? <clears throat> Charles Schultz, when he made that cartoon, it was in the mid-60s. And the CBS at the time said, I'm going to take that Linus part out where he talks about the, the, the story, Luke 2. And Charles Schultz says, if you take it out, I'm not doing it. And so they put it in, and it's played that way for 50 years because people know the story. How many of you have bought a Christmas gift for someone that you just can't wait to give to them and see their reaction? Got it wrapped up, and you're just waiting for them to open it to see what they're going to do. You took time to think about it. You spent your money on it. You sacrificed something that you could have bought for yourself in order to give them something else. You're excited about seeing the reaction. Maybe you give it last. Maybe you give it first. But in either case, you give them something that is a reflection of your feelings for that person. You give them a special gift because you love them and you want them to be blessed. And it's not an appliance guys mark there you go there you go chad awesome how many other women feel that way you want a washing machine for your birthday most of them are shaking their head no but you want a roomba
think about that as the way God giving his gift to us. He gives, he gave us his best gift and he wants to see your reaction when you open it. He wants to see the light go off in your mind of the reality of who Jesus is. And God could have given anything. It would not have been hard for God to give each one of us a bunch of money, a bunch of things. But for God, that doesn't cost him anything. It's like a millionaire giving you a $5 McDonald's card that a secretary bought for him. If your gift is a reflection of your love for the person that you're giving it to and you want to see their reaction to it, God's gift <clears throat> is a reflection of his love for you and he wants to see your reaction from it. What one gift do you want someone to open? Man, so you can just see their reaction. Now this here, this is actually an empty box. But we're going to pretend that it's real and it's got something in it. Suppose I put that box right there. This box is from God. It's for you. And when you open it, God's going to see the expression on your face. Let's say I have a hundred of these, one for everybody. Right? You guys believe that gift's here? You think there's something in that box? What if I told you each one of you to come up and take this box and open it? Because I want to see the reaction on your face. <clears throat> now imagine God's up here holding this box, saying, take this, because I want you to be blessed by the gift, and I want to see the reaction on your face. You can sit in your chair and think, yep, it's a gift for me. I believe it's a gift. I believe it's for me. I believe it's got my name on it, and I believe that God wants me to be blessed by it. But if you walk out of here without taking that gift, two things don't happen. You don't get any benefit from whatever that gift might be. And your relationship with God doesn't change. And he sees nothing on your, no expression on your face from the blessing that he had prepared for you. We mentioned earlier that each one of us is an enemy from God until we receive that gift. John 1.12 says, Yet to all he received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, not everyone is a child of God. How many know that? There's not a universal brotherhood of man and we're all children of God. That doesn't work that way. We don't become a child of God <clears throat> until we accept the gift that God gave us. The Bible says, to all who receive him, those he gave the right to become children of God. So actually, all those who come up and take this gift, you have the relationship with God. But if you leave that gift here, the Bible says, there is no relationship. God gave his best gift, <clears throat> the one gift that would cost God something. A gift that was of value to God, to, to each one of us in hopes that we would open it. Take it to ourselves, be blessed by the gift and have that relationship with God restored. Jesus was born into a time when faith was minimal. Spirituality was all but gone and the Jews were under Roman rule. The Jews thought they had everything under control. <clears throat> they didn't need anything else. They followed the rules because that's easy, that's measurable. We do the same. 
If we do all the things right, then we have a relationship with God, but the Bible says it doesn't work that way. It didn't work for the Jews then, it doesn't work for us now. God had planned something that would be far greater than anything they can imagine in their own minds or even by following the law. But the problem was, it sounded too easy. Only believe? That can't be all there is. Just, just take the gift? That's it? There's got to be a catch to it. Well, the catch is, we don't deserve it, and we can't earn it. So what's that leave us? It leaves us, the only reason we can take this gift is we believe that God our Father is handing it to you. Every time you unwrap a gift next week, think about the gift that God gave you. Only faith, only faith can make that gift real to you. And you have to take it by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. God saved you by his special favor when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. And this verse makes it very plain. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done. So no one can boast about it. The minute we accept the gift of Christ, that's the minute we become right with God. When you walk to the front, when you say a prayer, when you raise your hand, when that moment comes, when you're done praying, nothing will have changed around you. But your attitude will be different. Your heart will be different. You will walk away not knowing what happened, but knowing that something happened. That God did something in your life that you can't explain. And as you grow and as you read God's word, you'll realize what all happened on that moment. The moment you accepted Christ, the Bible says your heart's changed. I'll take out your stony heart, put in a heart of flesh, and now you'll understand. When I was in college, my girlfriend at the time gave me a Bible to read. And I started reading it in Genesis, and I got about three chapters into it, didn't understand a word I was reading. So I put it down, put it away. Why couldn't I understand it? Because I wasn't saved. When you're not saved, you can't understand what God's doing. You can't understand the Bible. Once you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit interprets the Bible for you. You're able to understand it. You're able to know what it is that actually happened in you. You can't explain it, but the Bible will tell you what God did at that moment. And the moment you come to know Christ is the moment that God changes you, the Holy Spirit fills you, and now you're able to understand the things of God. You'll walk away going, I get it. I understand not anything, but I understand what people are talking about. I understand this Christian thing. And now you want to learn more. That is what Christmas is about. The beginning of what God wants to do for you. The presence here. The option is up to you. Do you want to have that relationship with God? Either restored or new. Because the Bible says you can kind of slide away and then come back. You don't want to slide away too much because you won't come back after you slide away too much. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we close this morning. If you'd bow your heads with me for a moment.
of all the times of the year, Christmas is the most special to most people. When families come together, for the most part, and exchange gifts, things that you buy for someone that you think you want to show them how much you love them. Christmas is also the time that Jesus came and God gave you His gift because He loves you and cares for you and He wants that relationship restored. But you actually have to reach out and take the gift. The Bible says if you confess in your, with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you'll be saved. Because it's by your heart that you confess in your mind that you believe. Until you come to that point, you really don't have a relationship with God. The Bible says, <clears throat> and we read it, today is the day of salvation. We want to make sure, especially at Christmas, that we have a right relationship with God our Father. Just like parents want to have a great relationship with their kids, God wants to have a great relationship with you. But you have to answer the door when he knocks. If that's you and you really want that relationship restored, you want to know what this God thing's all about that we're talking about, you're not going to understand it until you actually make the leap of faith and believe. <clears throat> if that's you, I want you to raise your hand now because I want to pray with you. You're not here by accident. You're here because God needs you to hear something or witness something or talk to somebody. There are no accidents in God's kingdom. Whatever you heard today or were blessed with today, God meant that for you. So that when we leave today, you'll know that God has ministered to you in a certain specific way. Something that you needed to hear to set your heart right, to set your relationship right. God shared that today through somewhere because he knows you needed it. So I'm going to assume everyone here has a relationship with God. And I just want to pray God's blessing upon each one of us this time of year. Father, we do thank you. And <clears throat> we thank you that we have the gift of salvation, that we have a relationship with our Father. And we can come to you at any, any moment, any time, and just cast our cares upon you, just like a little child. The Bible says, because you care for us. And we thank you for that relationship with you started, and you allowed us to have because of Jesus. So Lord, I pray your blessings upon each person here. Allow them to really experience the love of God this time of year. Let this season not pass without us focusing on the reality of what it cost our Father to bring us back to Him. Father, we love you this morning. We love you. We appreciate you. And we just want to live our lives to honor you. Help us to share this good news with people we know so that they have that same relationship, that they would understand how much you love them. Keep us safe this, this Christmas season. Bring us back next Sunday as we have celebrated already and bring us here on Christmas Eve so we can understand the light of the world that we are. And it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. And God's people said, Amen. 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 Merry Christmas. See you Christmas Eve, 6 p.m.